Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. This is the Kevin Max Sports Hour on WPRO. We will take it. Welcome to the Kevin Max Sports Hour here on 790 The Score. I think the Patriots will take any extra juice, any extra motivation necessarily in order to get a win in Dallas on Sunday. Some uh, Zeke geek? Sure. Take it. Roll with it. And, you know, get ready for that possibility because the Patriots, they're going to, well, they really need to run the ball right at the Cowboys at AT&T Stadium on Sunday afternoon. They're going to run it early, hopefully get a lead. They'll run it with that lead, and they'll run it late. And if we come out of this game saying, wow, Ezekiel Elliott is still really good. He really hurt his old team, the Cowboys. He's got a lot left in the tank. He's you know playing better than Ramondre Stevenson. Fine. Good. It's a long season. This is only week four. He better outplay Ramondre at some point of the season. If it's for one game, if it's for three games, fine. He's that good of a player. He's going to get those chances. Be great if he can do it right there in Dallas in front of his former fans. I know he'll be excited to do that. And the Patriots have better hope that their Zeke Ramondre combo delivers. Because, you know, until it happens, what do you what do you guys think? I, I'm not in on this passing game being the reason for the Patriots to win a big game on the road. Until I see it, not going to believe that it can happen. I, I like their chances to do it with toughness with the running game, and not the flair of a passing game. Could it happen? Of course it could happen. But until it happens, with this group of players, I just don't... I need to see it to believe it. Right now, I have not seen enough from that Patriot passing game to think that they can go on the road and light up the scoreboard with Mac Jones throwing you know four touchdown passes. Might have to do it. And if I'm the Cowboys, I am loading up. I don't want Ezekiel Elliott to go for 120 yards and a couple scores. Or Ramondre Stevenson, for that matter. Let me see Mac Jones do it. Busy night tonight. We have Red Sox news. The Celtics, are they in or out? With Drew Holiday. Our Ryder Cup preview with Carl Augenstein. We get an awful lot going on. Uh, but Patriot fans, you can get a... Get in and talk to us right off the top here at 401-437-5000, 437-5000. Let's get started with tonight's three big hits. Patriots rookie cornerback Christian Gonzalez has been named the NFL's Defensive Rookie of the Month for September. Gonzalez, he was the 17th pick in the draft. He started all three games of his career of the season. He has one sack, one interception, and 16 total tackles. Gonzalez joins Mac Jones, Chandler Jones, Gerard Mayo, and Dion Branch as Rookies of the Month award winners 
in the last 20 years. The Ryder Cup will get underway tomorrow morning in Italy with foursomes matches kicking off the action. The U.S. will begin with Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns against the European team of John Rahm and Terrell Hatton. Interestingly, three of the four European teams are favored in the opening set of four matches. The teams will also play four four-ball matches later tomorrow. And the Red Sox have issued a statement today saying that Tim Wakefield and his wife are both battling health situations that they wish to keep private. Statement followed a podcast where former a former Wakefield teammate, Kurt Schilling, disclosed a diagnosis for the Wakefields without permission. He faced an awful lot of backlash uh, after that post. And Roots, uh, what... what I don't want to spend too much time on Kurt Schilling and his insensitive, rude remarks on a podcast. Um, but, hey, the uh, jacket fits, right? I, I can't say we're surprised that Schilling would uh, – and there's been no response from Schilling, but the backlash has been pretty severe from the Red Sox and his former teammates. Yeah, he's a world-class loser, Kurt Schilling, and I'm not talking about on the diamond. I'm talking about in life. And so, yeah, y- you expect this type of stuff. From someone who only craves attention and, you know, right, is is at all times trying to shock people. So, yeah, we've given that enough uh, oxygen, and we'll leave Kurt in his bunker to deal with the fallout. Yeah, and the Wakefields, whatever, you know, the challenges they're facing, obviously the best of yeah, luck. Yeah, wish uh, them the best. Yeah, yeah. They've been great. Uh, he's been a great Red Sox, uh, Red Sox in retirement, especially with the Jimmy Fund. Or really, uh, you know, one of the more public... Red Sox alumni in the last uh, 15 years, And for sure. I've mentioned many times on these airwaves, K-Mac, that when I was growing up, I had much more access to Atlanta Braves, Chicago Cubs, and Chicago White Sox games yeah. than I did uh, necessarily the Red Sox. And part of that was watching Tim Wakefield come up with the Pittsburgh Pirates mm-hmm. uh, right in the midst of that. Pirates and the Pirates and the Braves were you know really fighting it out for a few years there. And so I, I've watched Tim Wakefield's entire career. Incredibly impressive. Great professional um, exciting guy to watch. By all accounts, a great teammate, and we wish him and his family uh, the very best. For sure. Uh, back to the Pats here. So uh, it was, I kind of like Ezekiel Elliott. He, he's an interesting guy because, yeah. you know, he. I think he's legitimately, he was legitimately shocked that the Cowboys didn't keep him around. Uh, the combination of him and Tony Pollard last year was, was a strong part of their team. Uh, the Cowboys came to the conclusion that everyone else is making in the NFL that uh, – you need one back, maybe. You certainly don't need two. They chose Pollard, a younger player, uh, understood. And, and then there was really no market for Ezekiel Elliott. Well, fast forward, he, he's in a good spot with the Patriots. He's getting a good opportunity with the Patriots. Now he's going back to Dallas. Talk about a huge chip on his shoulder. What a great opportunity for Ezekiel Elliott. And Bill Belichick or Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, they are going to give him the rock. It is you know, really going to be an interesting scenario see how it plays out yeah absolutely and if i'm not mistaken was the last play he ran there that dumpster fire of a you know indianapolis colts looking uh remember i think he snapped the ball you know or, i think it, something did happen it was something, something strange yeah, yeah. something like that so i don't i don't recall if that was his last play there or what but yeah ezekiel elliott uh, he's refreshing now when you hear him talk he's certainly come to play here he's got plenty left in the tank and i'm with you i would expect him to be a major part of the game plan, really not because they're playing against Dallas, uh, although that's a cute little storyline, but like you already pointed out, they're going to need to run the ball. They're going to need both of their running backs, and, and he's one of them, so there you go. Uh, in their three uh, games, and Dallas is 2-1, and one, they've given up an average of 131 yards uh, a game on the ground, and uh, you know, huge 
output last week by Arizona, 222. But uh, even in a 40 to nothing win over the Giants, and how about that? They beat the Giants 40 to nothing. I told you, the Giants are trash. They must be really bad. The Giants are trash. Uh, The Giants ran for 108 yards on the ground. And usually when you're losing to 40 40 to nothing, you're throwing the ball, not running the ball. So I, I think it's... You know, it's pretty clear that you can run on Dallas. Be surprised if uh, that that changes on Sunday. And and another thing that plays into the Patriots uh, into their advantage playing against Dallas is one, Dallas is terrible at stopping the run, and two, Dallas is terrible in the red zone. Right. So what's the one thing we know, you know, about Bill Belichick defenses is often they're their best or they're good. Uh, in the red area, as it were, and preventing teams from scoring touchdowns. Now, Dallas you know, can obviously go over the top and beat you that way, but they have no Zeke. They have no uh, Dalton Schultz. They got no good you know, tight end. They don't have any real big receivers, mm. you know, physical guys. So down there in the red area, Bill Belichick's red area, you know, the Patriots should have an advantage there. And, you know, as I just laid it out, you know, forget uh, covering the seven points or coming in the back door. That, that lays out very nicely – to at least create situations where the Patriots can be successful. So if they do have to throw the ball, uh, that means they'll they'll probably be behind, which won't be a good situation for this Patriot team. But uh, it, it would put guys like Juju Smith-Schuster uh, on the line and say, okay, is this the week where Juju or Devontae Parker or a Kendrick Bourne really pops and uh, you know allows that passing game to get clicking? Here's uh, Smith-Schuster in the locker room today. Roach, things are going well with Juju Smith-Schuster and the Patriot offense. Am I watching the same games that he's playing in? Yeah, well, I mean, if they are going well, then that's a heck of a profession that he's in there in terms of the money he's getting paid versus the the production. I mean, I know the the radio listeners don't have the benefit of the video watching Juju Smith-Schuster, but he already looks tired and beaten. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, because I saw it. I'm like, I, I'm hearing these words, and he he's saying these words with, without a smile, right? Uh, not a lot of you know pep in his step. No, he could just be tired from a day's work, right? So I'm not trying well, to go too far with sure. this. Sure, like... I was going to say, I, I, you know, we we haven't dealt with Juju Smith Schuster very much. Right. It's only his first year, but I also think it, the kind of cavalier attitude is, you know, well, I, I've been in the league a long time, so you know, I, I'll be I'll be fine. Let's go, okay? Like, like, let's go. Let let let's show that you are a number one receiver, and that uh, you know you came in to New England to to get things done. Because right now you might like your role, but you're not getting much done yeah. at all. Yeah, he was brought in to catch the ball and then do more. Right? I mean, if it's yeah. just talking about someone who's going to be able to run out and catch the ball and and sit down and block. Right. Exactly. So I mean, you know, I'm glad that he's not completely. Uh, you know, I'm glad that his answer isn't, well, you've seen my stats. I stink. We stink. Everybody stinks, right? Obviously, that's not what you want. But it was a little surprising, you know, his words combined with how he looked when he said them. It's like, man, I don't I, – you don't believe this, and mm. nor should you. Mm. Yeah, a, a little bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, being Has been an awful lot of sizzle about Dallas's Micah Parsons. Well, there's no reason to overlook the Patriots' version of him, Micah Parsons. Matt Judon, uh, and Judon certainly respects Parsons' ability. I'm glad he brought that up. That's the one thing that jumps out at me more than anything else about Parsons. And for Judon, uh, what makes those guys, you know, obviously strong, fast, quick, the motor. I mean, they they don't take, you know, 
the old cliche, they don't take a lot of plays off. Not only do they not take plays off, they go really hard uh, on most, most plays, and uh, you know th- that motor does separate both of those two guys. And uh, don't be surprised if Judon has like a bigger game than Parsons because they're going to go after Dak Prescott uh, you know, strong as well, and that's where Judon gets things done. Yeah, absolutely. And guys like Matt Judon and Micah Parsons – uh, they're great, right? So this isn't a uh, commentary on them. If anything, it's a compliment to them. They go so hard that it becomes obvious how hard other players aren't going. Sure. Right? No, and it that, stands me, out. It stands out. Yeah, and I was reading, I forget who uh, I was reading earlier today, but I, I actually I think it might have been uh, Nate Jackson, the former uh, Broncos wide receiver, where he was talking about how watching – that Miami Denver game, it was so obvious, you know, how many players on Denver just quit. Oh, for sure. Right? And, and it's so, like, I'm sorry, like, week in and week out, like, I understand the NFL, you know, it's a, it's a violent sport and, and injuries. You got to keep your eye out for injuries. But, but it's kind of embarrassing from time to time when you see someone like Parsons or Judon and you kind of question, you know, why aren't more players playing like this? Mm. Like, you know, you don't want to be out of control, as Judon was just sort of saying. But, you know, if you have the skills and have the motor, you know, you should use it. And look, I'm not expecting defensive linemen to be, you know, trucking up and down the field or anything like that. But it's just guys like that stand out not only because of their freakish athleticism, but because they seem to be trying harder than the average player. Yeah, no, and it, it certainly separates uh, some players more than others. So we have a little bit of golf. Well, we have a lot of golf in our second hour, but I uh, wanted to sprinkle in some golf right now. So Keegan Bradley is, you know, Mr. New England on the PGA Tour. And guess what? He loves his Patriots, and sounds like he really loves Bill Belichick. Well, it's kind of like you, Roach. You know, I mean, Belichick texts you, so you love Bill. That's, That's how right. it is. That's you know? right. Yeah, we all love Bill. Yeah, we all love Bill. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate the compliments, but really, none of that matters. Well, you know, it matters a little bit there, Billy yeah. Boy. And Bill, you know, he likes to golf a little bit. He's played in that AT&T out of Pebble Beach. Sure. Maybe you got to meet Keegan out sure. there, and Keegan likes those free tickets. So, hey, what the heck? It all works out. There are high schools in <clears throat> Woodstock, Vermont, that have <clears throat> excellent lacrosse programs. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, That's where Keegan's from. Right, Woodstock? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's about right. Uh, and uh, he's related to Pat Bradley, uh, the former LPGA player. Oh, who I'm, sure, I'm sure Bill yeah. knows as well. Oh, I would think know. so. Yes, absolutely. This is the Kevin Max Sports Hour. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, the Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the link that are in there too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. This is the Kevin Max Sports Hour. You know, you open up your email once in a while, Roach, and you're like, hmm, okay. This is from uh, Sports Betting AG, my friend uh, Josh Barton. This guy I've never met. He sends me more emails than he can shake a stick at. I think it's an offshore uh, outfit there. Is it? I is think it? so. I don't remember. And, you know, it's all about the uh, fallout from the Damian Lillard trade. Right. And Drew Holiday's next team <clears throat> with odds. Yeah, sure. Uh, right at the very top. Two to one odds. The Boston Celtics. Right at the very, very top. So yesterday we had this discussion for about uh, two minutes, and I said, well, obviously they don't have have what it takes to to match up and trade. So thinking about it with uh, 24 hours, this is the deal. Would you do the deal? The, the, The Celtics could 
get Drew Holiday. They, they really could. Uh, that said, this it's not going to be easy. It, it's going to take a little pain. This is the deal. Malcolm Brogdon or Derek White and Robert Williams or Al Horford. Column A, column B, pick one from both columns. And they'll probably demand two first-round picks, which at this stage of the game... Who cares? Uh, no one... The, the, the Celtics are so good, every pick is in the 20s. Even Brad Stevens, he's not Danny Ainge, okay? He's not going to hold on to these picks. And they don't, they don't have any top 10, you know, picks from somebody else coming or anything like that. Right. So the question is, is would you do that? And I don't think I would. I, I, I would sit tight. And uh, that said... If I could possibly do it for a, a different mix, sure, I would explore every possible opportunity because I do think that Holiday is is he's a better Marcus Smart. He, he's a better offensive Marcus Smart. Very good defender, good size. He would definitely upgrade your team. But if you take away, say, Brogdon and Robert Williams, I, I, just, I can't go to war with only Kristaps Porzingis as a big guy on my team. I, I, I don't trust that guy to be healthy for more than 50 games. So... Now, if they want to take... trust Robert Williams to be healthy for more than 50 games? No, no, that's what I mean. Well, I... I, I thought you were talking about Porzingis. I, it's all of them. Need, the combo of the two is what we have, right? So the you combo don't, of the three, Horford, Williams, and Porzingis, they're all walking injury well, risks. if they want to take Horford... Yeah. Th- then I'd be very intrigued, because I, I would get rid of Al Horford. Well, so for me, those four players you named and those combinations, I think, are so wildly different. I mean, take, sure. take Derek White off the table right now. Like, that's not happening. Too good? Uh, too good. Uh, and he's not making, you know, such money that he's... You got him on a good contract, Yeah, he, much. he's at 18 for two years, right. and Brogdon's at 22 for two years. It's kind of the same deal. Right, so here, here is... What but I'm I, with you. I'd rather have White. Yeah, absolutely, I'd rather have White. And I'm a huge Malcolm Brogdon fan. Um, but, you know, the, the more I thought about this, uh, and it would have to be the beauty in the eye of the beholder, but in terms of Horford and Williams... I don't have a problem dealing either of those guys. Mm. And and I love Robert Williams, and I like Al Horford and what he's been able to do, but I think they're like they're just not a big enough part of the plan. And they'd be a bigger part of my plan if I were the Boston Celtics. But, you know, when you combine the injury risk with the limitations offensively of uh, of Horford and Williams, and of course Horford a much better offensive player, if you're in love with Drew Holiday, if you're Brad Stevens – and you think Drew Holiday could be the difference maker on your team? I would, I would ship Brogdon and uh, one of those two, no problem, to to make that deal happen. And you, yeah, you'd be incredibly thin uh, in the front court. But guess what? You're already rolling the dice big time on an incredibly thin front court. And I don't think Mike Muscala can just slide in and no. replace one of those guys. Luke, Luke Cornett, those guys aren't good enough. They aren't good enough. Yeah. But you know, again. If what you're wanting to do, if you're the Boston Celtics, if Holiday can really sort of alter that or improve, enhance you, then you know I don't see any of those guys as being off limits. That being said, I would not do any of these deals. Uh, Brian Scalabrini on NBC Sports Boston. He thinks the Celtics will be involved. Yes, Scal is a little. You know, he 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 was close. Uh, yeah, exactly. Brogdon makes twenty million, and they could get up to that number. Well, 
not with trash, okay? You have to get up with another $10 million. you got a ways to go. Yeah, that, that's not... Uh, that's why we've been hearing names like White, Horford, and Williams. Exactly. Because it, Luke Cornett... Luke Cornett and, uh, and Sam Hauser combo is really not what Portland is looking for. And i, I got to say this. In terms of Portland, K-Mag, and this has long been my stance on a lot of these things, it's like I love how immediately it's like, well... They have to trade Drew Holiday, right? It's like, okay, let's go down this road. Tell me why they need to trade Drew Holiday necessarily. Well, because they're not a contender now, and they want to put themselves in the best position to be contenders down the road. And and I would answer and say, oh, so they want to be in a position to draft someone like Damian Lillard? (laughs) Like, what what are we talking about here? Like, you guys had a shot. Uh, You missed. And I would be... Well, I, I'm with you there, because it was funny. The initial reaction was, well, okay, you know, too bad for Holiday. He goes from potentially, you know, winning a title to a rebuilding situation. And then uh, I think you and I spoke, and he said, well, it, they just drafted, you know, Shaden Sharp, and they got... Scoot this, this Henderson. Sh- Scoot Henderson. Anthony Simons. I'm like, all those guys are... They're not, they're not a quarter of Drew Holiday, but guess what? Another year in the dumper... Uh, getting a top pick. This is what this is what these teams do. The the yeah. Portlands of the world. If they think that they can get back into the lottery, give a lot of time to their young players, they're more than happy to do that. It's amazing, and thank God the Celtics aren't one of those franchises where they just basically write off the season before they even throw the ball up. Yeah, and I want to just note like. This is what's crazy to me about you know teams doing this, and we'll talk about Portland because they're the one doing it right now. It's like so their roster as constituted, they've deemed cannot make the playoffs. Is that what I'm guessing? Cannot be in the mix. Mm-hmm. Okay, like how did they get, arrive to that exactly? Right? Are they so down on their own young players? So it's impossible. So Scoot Henderson can't be Rookie of the Year, I guess, because if you combine him with Sharp, with Simons, with Holiday. That's at least a really good group of guards and wings you got there. Sure it is, yeah. And, and you're telling me that team can't compete for the the bottom drawer there of a Western playoff spot? And then you have Holiday for several more years. So to your point, okay, so they stink this year. They get another high draft pick. They add that to Sharp and Henderson and Holiday, right? It's like, And then they think they'll be ready. Right. It's okay. just the GMs in the NBA, they're all about hitching their star, wagon, what have you, to the next big thing to buy themselves some more time when there just isn't any proof that this works. Chris Mannix was also on that NBC Sports Boston last night. Chris, uh, he went a little deeper on the Celtics' possibilities. Well, like who? Chris, uh, that would be if if you really think that that's the case, that they're going to ask for picks. Who cares about the picks? Uh, it, it, again, in the NBA, the money has to come close to matching up. So, who the, the Celtics? Would you regard Robert Williams as a hot prospect at this stage of his career? Absolutely not. not. He's tainted no, goods, and he's he's damaged goods. Yeah. Exactly. He's he gets hurt too much. They don't have another young hot player. They do not. Well, his name is Jason Tatum. Needless to say, they're not trading him for Drew Holiday to Portland. So. Maybe the Celtics don't have the roster to get involved in this. It, it certainly will be interesting to watch. It looks like Portland has told people that they are definitely looking to get rid of Drew Holiday. So yeah. he's out there, and uh, will the price be high? Will the price be low? And imagine, Who like, knows? from a morale standpoint, it, you're on Portland, and it's that we have to ship out Holiday because we can't win as constituted. I know I'd be on that team being like, well, then get rid of me too because what are we doing here? Yeah, can, like, I, can I be in that deal? Yeah, can you, can you go ahead yeah. and include me? And, and in terms of you know what Mannix was just talking about, you know we floated those possibilities of the Celtics and, and the, the ones we were floating were salary matches, right? That, that were able to get that job done. Are you telling me there isn't a better, like, okay, Malcolm Brogdon 
Derek White, uh, I'm I'm in. But Robert Williams or Al Horford, if someone can't do better than that, then there isn't a market for Drew Holiday because mm. those guys are just Al Horford's old. Robert Williams is breaking down, and and two uh, first rounders in the twenties. Really, right? I mean, that's not like an attractive package, right? And, and look, like the Celtics didn't even go into the tank to get Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. We know a lot of that was due to that absolutely atrocious trade that the, that the Nets made. Oh, that's right, sure. But but to my point that I was making earlier, the Celtics have zero championships with this group, correct? Uh, sure. Right. So I mean, so what, you're Portland. What are you pointing at in terms of well? If we can get ourselves a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown and a Marcus Smart, you'll what? Has that worked out? I mean, sure, they, they put butts in the seats and they won a lot of games, but aren't you trying to say that you have to do this because you have to turn your team into a championship contender? Well, again, like I said, there just isn't a lot of evidence of teams being able to build through and win this way. We see teams try it over and over and over again, and it's just not as successful as you would think when you see so many people trying it. And, you know, looking at their roster, I know – we're going to take a break here, but looking at Portland's roster, this is a playoff team. Uh, Drew Holiday, uh, Jeremy Grant, uh, Anthony Simons, and DeAndre Ayton. Those four guys are all very good players. They all make over $24 million a piece. And Sharp uh, and Henderson. And and uh, Henderson, Sharp, uh, Chris Murray, all off the, you know, I would say off the bench to rounding it out. It's not bad. I mean, to your point, that can't make, you know, the bottom, what is it, 10 teams make the playoffs now? Come I'm, on. I'm saying, right, yeah. exactly. And if that doesn't, like, I, and I love how we get all the mixed messaging all the time. It's, well, we can't do X because we're in the hunt, right? And, and in the hunt will be, we're 12th and we're two and a half games out of the, the last playoff spot there. Mm. But yet, in a situation like this, it's like, oh, we can't roll this team out there because... We, we don't have any chance of making the Western Conference Finals. It's like, well, I mean, how is that the bar? Yeah. Yeah, when you're Portland. Right. Yeah. This is the Kevin Max Sports Hour. Welcome to Talkville. The ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But Scabby Abby, Scabby at the whole school. It yeah, just hurt me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created this show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. This is the Kevin Mack Sports Hour. Welcome back to the Kevin Mack Sports Hour. And this is our final, sadly, final birdies and bogeys segment of the season. First of all, uh, welcoming back Carl Augustine. Carl, a uh, great season of birdies and bogeys, and we end with a Ryder Cup. So it can't be much better. Th- thanks again. No, this, this, yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a great season, and uh, we had a lot of fun doing this. And, and the Ryder Cup is is. You know, just let's let's let the fun and games begin, right? Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Absolutely, o- over in Italy. So that means everyone has to get up really early uh, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday if you want to see the right. the vast majority, or you just hang in and catch them at the turn. So, but uh, right. I, I know a few people who will be up quite early. But anyways, I'll be I'll be up. I'll, I'll be, be up. Watching. I don't know if I'll see the first shot, but I, I will be up. Uh, so. Coming into this, uh, a couple things. Uh, first of all, the U.S. is slightly favored. The Europeans have four rookies. I, I believe the uh, U.S. has three rookies. Uh, the experience factor, I, I would say, is, is a coin flip. At the top of the European roster, you could say that, that the top of their roster is better than the top of the U.S. roster, and yet 1 through 12, certainly the U.S. Ha- has more depth. It, just in the overall scheme, uh, what do you think about the two rosters? Well, I was trying to figure out a way to, to, to 
uh, empirically compare these two teams, and I only came up with one metric, Kevin. Um, so what I did was I totaled up the world ranking positions of the two teams mm. and compared that number. And and based on that, based on those numbers, the U.S. team should absolutely blow the, the Europeans away. I mean, the, the European total, so the lower number wins, right? So the European total was 361, and the U.S. was 153. Wow. So mm. theoretically, if you use that metric to compare these two teams, then the U.S. team should dominate. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's so many other factors involved in this. And, you know, they're playing, they're playing a format that is, that is a blast to watch uh, because they don't play any of these formats all year. It's all match play. Mm-hmm. Playing the foursome matches, which is uh, basically a true alternate shot, and then they're playing the four-ball matches, which is best ball of the twosome. Um, it's, it's great spectator golf. Yeah, a, a few things. Uh, been watching Paul McGinley this week on the Golf Channel, a uh, former uh, captain of a Ryder Cup team, uh, a, a multiple-time player on a Ryder Cup team, and he basically, exactly what you said, I believe it was asked uh, of him uh, on the set, and he all but giggled. He was like, I, I love when I hear the stats that the U.S. is is better than Team Europe because it, this is not an individual game this weekend, and it's the only one all season long where it's not individual. It is a team, and especially in the foursomes, I believe in the last two Ryder Cups, so that would be a, a home and away, um, in the foursomes matches only, so that would be uh, 16 uh, points, it, it's 13-3 to three, Europe. 13-3! to three. So it, it clearly shows that they, they, they work the team side of this much better than the U.S. I, I don't know what... Zach Johnson and the and the Americans can do to combat that, and who knows if it carries over. Uh, but to your point, it, it, world ranking almost doesn't matter because this is a different format uh, this weekend. Right. I mean, I, it appears over the years that the Europeans have just embraced this team format, and and the, the as you said, the foursome, which is the foursome play, which is the most difficult team team golf uh, format. Uh, with alternate shots, you're really, really relying on on how your partner plays. You've played for some matches. I mean, they're playing. The thing that makes this the most interesting to me, Kevin, is they're playing the kind of golf that we play every day. We're always we're always out on the golf course playing some type of matches. Usually a best ball or two, some best ball or four, some. But it's always team. It's usually team golf. You know, the only time we ever get get into playing. Uh, 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 strictly stroke plays, usually in state tournaments or club championships, and even club championships now are all match play. So sure. this is great to watch. It's something that we do every day, and they do once every two years. The uh, the ability of some of the newcomers are really first of all a little bit about this golf course, uh, Marco Simone, they call it o- right. over in Italy. Uh, it was reshaped, uh, truly reworked in uh, 2018, 2019, specifically for. Uh, this weekend for, for the Ryder Cup. And what they did is they cut some holes uh, back, uh, made them shorter. I believe there's three drivable par fours. Three. Right. Uh, there's right. also three or four par fives that everyone can reach. So it's a much shorter course. They wanted to do that to kind of, uh, well, overall, Europe has had shorter hitters than the Americans. So that kind of uh, decreases that uh, that advantage. Also, they reworked many greens to make them, you know, more challenging, more slopey. So I think we're going to see a very exciting match play course with a lot of birdies, maybe some eagles, and I do think that that evens out 
maybe that uh, talent advantage that you spoke about earlier. I did want to say, uh, if people don't know the following uh, names, uh, Nikolai Hogard, uh, Robert McIntyre, I think everyone knows Sepp Straka, and uh, Ludwig Aberg. Ludwig, Lug, Ludwig Aberg is truly a rookie. He's never played in a major Forget about uh, the Ryder Cup. He's truly a a rookie. He was the best college player in the country the last couple of years, uh, best college player in America the last couple of years. Uh, They think that this guy might play with Rory McIlroy. I mean, he's that talented, uh, that, quote, ready. We'll find out if he's ready, Carl, but uh, those four newcomers for Europe, they need to play well, or I think that's a gaping hole in in their roster. Yes, I agree with that. Um, You know, speaking of the golf course, I took a quick look on Google Earth uh, yesterday, Mm. and the change... the, cha- the change in elevation across this golf course goes from a, a hundred foot elevation to two hundred and sixty four feet. Hmm. So, I mean, this is a very, very, very hilly golf course. And I, from what uh, Max uh, what was Max from uh, Victor Harvland said, a lot of blind shots, and you're not going to see in the way the golf course is set up. You're not going to see a lot of halves. It's going to be birdies flying all over the place or big numbers flying all over the place. Hmm. Uh, we're with Carl Augenstein here on Birdies and Bogies previewing. The Ryder Cup, uh, Carl. I'm, I'm wondering if Europe is going to win. Who needs to be the hero? Who, who need who needs to carry the ball for for Team Europe? Uh, I think it's obvious. Rory McIlroy, number one, and John Rahm, number two. Um, if those two guys can lead this team and win matches, um, then they're going to be in great shape. Yeah, those, and, are the, those are the two key players on that, on that team. No question, no question, and, and they'll play them apart uh, as a rule. It looks like. Again, Rory could play with Aberg. He could play with Tommy Fleetwood. I think we'll see him with Tommy Fleetwood a few times. As far as uh, Rom, the, the uh, rumors there have been uh, Terrell Hatton might play uh, quite a bit with Rom. Uh, again, two really, really good teams. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think Tommy Fleetwood's going to be uh, the thorn in the U.S. side. To be honest with you, I think he's going to he's the one guy in that team that I would be afraid of. He, I mean, he could he's a gritty type of player. Uh, Built for match play, mm. and I think he's, he could really, really do some do some damage. So the American side, uh, you know, they get they have all the majors. Uh, Brooks Kepko won the PGA, Wyndham Clark the U.S. Open, Brian Harmon uh, the Open Championship. Uh, he, I, I think we're bound to see Patrick Cantlay play with uh, Xander Schauffele. We'll probably see Justin Thomas play with Jordan Spieth. Uh, oh, really. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. They've been very successful in team play right. uh, over the years. Um, Scotty Scheffler and Kepka, I think, are two important guys. Uh, would you be tempted to play those two guys together? Maybe the two best you know, ball strikers uh, on the team, uh, just to, I wouldn't say guarantee some points, but uh, th- that could be, th- that. that's also a rumored pairing. Kepka and, uh, and uh, Scheffler, what do you think about that? Uh, that would be an interesting pairing. I you know, I don't know if you put the two best players, two of the best top players on your team together, but um, yeah, you know that can lead to uh, that can lead to uh, negative results too, though, because if they don't play well together, then that team is going to have some real issues. But um, I don't know. I, I could see Kepka playing with somebody like Ricky Fowler mm-hmm. um, in some of the uh, uh, two-man match play uh, formats. Uh, just to, just to mix up the personalities a little bit. I, I guess the personality, they, you know, the way that they've been talking on the golf channel and all the, all the uh, speculation is that the personality, personalities and all that is is extremely important in yeah. these matches. Getting guys that like each other and want to play together. 
Well, the question is who 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 wants to bond with Brooks Kepka? You know, he could be a You're difficult right. guy, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. Uh, okay, Carl. So I think everybody knows that the U.S. hasn't won in Europe in 30 years, which, which truly is amazing, and they've been the favorite many times when they go over there. Uh, when we, I guess, will be Sunday afternoon here in uh, on the east coast of the United States, we'll have a winner. What do you see? I, I see the European team winning this, uh, not handily, but by a couple of points, maybe scoring 16 points in this in this format. Um, I just, I you know, it's a, the, evidently as we know, the home course advantage is a huge advantage in this in the, in the Ryder Cup. And this particular team is extremely talented. They're built for a lot of the players on that European team are built for for match play and built for. Uh, team play, mm. I think they're going to be extremely difficult to beat. I think it would be a long shot that the U.S. could pull us out. What do you I, think? I, I'm with you. I, I like the Europeans. I, I think people don't quite get the talent of the Europeans. You know, they, they may not know that Robert McIntyre is a very good player. He just doesn't play on the U.S. You know, a tour regularly. Uh, I also think the very top of that, that European team from, uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, certainly, you know, uh, Rom and McElroy and um, uh, Victor Hovland. Uh, I'll take those three over any three that the Americans have. Uh, that said, it, it's not it's not a three man operation. It's twelve, and you know, it's really not twelve. You could hide one or two players. You know, if you give up some points on the singles on the very last day, uh, that's fine. I expect the Europeans to have a lead. Going into uh, going into singles play uh, on Sunday, but uh, I agree. Yeah, yeah, it could be substantial. Um, I think the guy in, in, in all of this, the twenty-four guys, the guy that's got the most heat on him is Justin Thomas. He's got he's got to prove himself this weekend. Well, that, he still can play. Yeah, that combination with Spieth uh, certainly needs to come through because uh, Spieth, there's no question, was an outspoken supporter of of adding Justin Thomas. Uh, Carl, enjoy the golf. Uh, get some good, good get some good early morning coffee, and I, I know you'll. You'll enjoy it uh, like every other golf fan. Thanks very much. I, I love this. This is going to be a lot of fun. It'll be great. And thanks uh, again for all of our birdies and bogeys this year, Carl. You're most welcome, Kevin. I enjoyed every minute of it. The Kevin Max Sports Hour on WPRO. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kumal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.